Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Clueless Capitalist, where we discover interesting startups, interview founders, and help you become less clueless with angel investing. My name is Razi. My name is Hoffman, and welcome to The Clueless Capitalist. For this episode of The Clueless Capitalist, we have Jet joining us. So Jet is a fellow angel investor and also the founder of angelschool.vc. Welcome to the episode, Jet. Hey, thanks for having me, Oz and Razi. I appreciate it. So I saw a really interesting post uh, on LinkedIn just a few days ago where you shared your eight-year-long journey with uh, angel investing, how you got into it, and how you founded angelschool.vc. So maybe you could run us through uh, that particular um, origin story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always a little bit self-conscious about talking about these kinds of things, right? Bit of a, a vulnerable thing, uh, but. After undergrad, I ended up in the oil and gas industry. Uh, honestly, it was a financial situation more than anything. The industry was booming, and you know uh, there were some financial hardships personally, right? So it was an avenue to solve um, an immediate problem. But I found myself getting honestly quite bored and dissatisfied and unchallenged. And as a twenty-something-year-old, you don't feel good about that, right? It's not a, a good feeling. I was extremely uncomfortable with that. And so I started to manufacture an exit strategy,、uh, which basically involved going back to grad school and doing a complete career reinvention. So it was a journey from from that point, right? And very thankfully, I got into INSEAD、uh, on my very first try, you know, first round, you know, ten years ago. Now I can't believe my ten year reunion is coming up. After that, my first step was to be a failed entrepreneur.、Uh, I think that part wasn't in the、uh, LinkedIn story, but I founded a startup that made no money. Then I had to get a real job, and I found my niche. I worked in corporate strategy, and then pivoted to corporate innovation. And I had this opportunity to start a new business unit within a large corporate. Then I got an innovation job, moved towards that,、uh, and that was like more working in tech, right? So applying the Corporate entrepreneurship skills into like an innovation、uh, arena, which was like more blue sky, more more open opportunity, and I ended up starting an API marketplace business, and this was done through a partnership with a startup called Rapid API back in 2016. So there were five people in the WeWork. I pieced together this partnership, and this little startup grew to raising capital from Andreessen Horowitz.、Uh, we built the world's largest API marketplace together. And、uh, today, actually, Rapid is a, a unicorn, very successful company. And I think during this time, I, I hit the startup light bulb, right? So this thing just really kicked off for me because I just love the energy that startups bring. You know, this novel approach, completely unencumbered and like super scrappy culture of just getting things done. And by virtue of seeing all of these companies, I decided to go out and start angel investing. Purely out of interest, right? So I parked a pool of capital aside, put a few bets in some、uh, early stage companies, and ended up doing okay.、Uh, I ended up getting my first exit in 2018. So in two years, I invested in Turing.com at an early seed stage. That company has turned into a unicorn, and that gave me enough conviction to say that hey, maybe Jed isn't completely terrible as an angel. And、I think it was at at that point that I decided I wanted to scale up. And the classical path, you know, at that point for most people is: do you start a fund or do you raise a syndicate?、Uh, I didn't think I was ready for a fund, so I went down the syndicate route. So this was at the beginning of 2020 when the pandemic was kicking off into high gear around the world.、Uh, fast forward three years later,、uh, I've built a syndicate of a thousand plus LPs. We've spent nothing on marketing. To acquire LPs, we've grown our average check sizes from a low six figures to maybe half a million to a million dollars on a spot deal. Right, it's basically given me the ability to deploy capital in million scale a year、uh, as a side hustle. And again, here there's a, a very clear set of data points that something is working. Right, this is not coincidence. And I started thinking about why, and I think that was the genesis for Angel School. I had to figure out how to build and scale and operate my own syndicate brick by brick because there was a lack of resources. And so, if you believe that hypothesis or that assumption, it basically means that every single syndicate in existence out there 
has had to reinvent the wheel, which seems absolutely crazy to me. Because we can invest in sending stuff to Mars, but we can't share、uh, a few like structural lessons about setting up syndicates. Despite all of this, syndicates today deploy about ten or fifteen billion dollars a year, right? And I arrive at that number by triangulating the different sources. Sure, when they were around, they had an annual publication around how much capital and AUM they deploy. AngelList does something; they're primarily syndicate money. Uh, you can look at Carta as well, and and you know this is the figure that I arrived at, which basically suggests to me that we might have found an underserved ten or fifteen billion dollar market out there, right? And so the mission of Angel School simply is to help angels get to the next level, right? How do we help angel investors build and grow their own syndicates and to become super angels? Well, that's、uh, that's a very very interesting、uh, story. I think it's a dream for every angel to become a super angel, and you know, for startups to come、uh, knocking on their doors and to find excellent、uh, opportunities. So you've mentioned this term multiple times, syndicates. And I think for the viewers and everyone who's clueless like us, the question that's popping up is like, what is a syndicate? Sure. So a syndicate, you can think of this as an informal network of other angel investors. Right, they pay attention to the deal flow of a syndicate lead who had just happens to be another angel investor, and if they like the deal of an angel of the syndicate lead, they can then participate in that investment. So the question is, what's the exchange here? What's the value for both parties? I think for the angels who are looking at this deal flow, well, firstly, there's no exclusivity, right? You Can invest in other startups of your own capital. You can pay attention to other syndicates. You pick and choose, right? So in a way, syndicates help you scale up your reach and and your breadth. And I think because syndicates are aggregating capital, they get into better deal flow, right? Because the kind of companies that are accessible to you, the kind of diligence that you can do、uh, when you're writing a six or seven figure check, it's a lot larger than if you're an independent angel writing a ten or twenty k check, right? It's just orders of magnitude different. Now, on the other hand, there is a, a cost to this. Usually, syndicates have a carried interest supply. Basically, think of this as profit sharing. And the deal is similar to venture capital. If you invest in a company that a syndicate lead organizes, and that company has a successful exit. The syndicate lead takes twenty percent of that upside. That's carried interest, and so the trade-off is: is that deal quality, the reach, the diligence, and that high bar of companies that a syndicate lead brings worth giving up that twenty percent upside? That's the way I look at it. Our experience as angel investors, Bavarati and I, we've worked together on early-stage startups, and we've we've effectively aggregated capital, but we've all ended up. Investing individually now, some of the people that we've been working with and who who we've introduced to angel investing, because they're investing individually, their requirement has been to bump up their check size, and I, and I think that was one of the main benefits we saw of, of a syndicate was that it democratizes access into a deal flow, and it allows. People to actually reduce their risk as well in what is considered to be a very high-risk asset class, and、um, uh, and reduce their individual tickets, but still ultimately aggregate a larger amount that can go onto the cap table. What I found as well was that a lot of founders, early-stage founders, do like that as well. They prefer to have like one name on the cap table rather than twenty angel investors on their cap table, each with like. Twenty twenty-five k ticket sizes in there, and the reason why, and we're, I just want to explain this to to the people watching, is that for for founders when they end up with so many people on the cap table to make a decision to get anything done, you need to go and ask your shareholders, and if you've got twenty people on your cap table, you need to get twenty signatures. There are methods to kind of simplify that, but ultimately it slows everything down. Especially if you're a startup, you cannot keep on stopping to pander to to investors and ask them questions like, "Do you approve of this particular approach?"、Um, most of the time, time is of the essence, and they need to move quickly. 
So having one syndicate, one name on the cap table simplifies the decision-making process once they have converted into equity and it makes it a lot easier and cleaner for uh, other investors to look in and see who's invested on, on the cap table. It's not just a mishmash of names. The other thing that I noticed with Singaporean-based startups, those that are listed, by the time you get to, I think it's 50 shareholders, you don't have the option to be in private anymore. You have to list on the uh, Singapore Stock Exchange. So um, there is another reason why it's beneficial to aggregate a lot of small checks into one syndicate. So from a, a startup founder perspective, syndication is really, really beneficial. And from a, an investor perspective, um, it means that you can lower your, your ticket size and come in on a vehicle which still aggregates into a very large check size to the uh, startup. Yeah, for sure. I think just to, to add on to that point with the startup, for the startup founders, it's not just a cleaner cap table, right? I think a good syndicate lead is bringing those that pre-built trust and relationship. Like investing is a very trust-based game, I think. So, yeah. you know, good syndicate lead should have relationships with all the LPs and can compel that capital so that it doesn't, fundraising shouldn't be an exercise in herding cats. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, and you're right. It just triggered another thought with regards to founders having one conversation about their business, what it does, and, and having that discussion is a lot easier than having... 20 individual conversations with 20 individual investors. It, That's right. <laughs> it can be really tiring to have that same conversation so often. And you know that maybe 50, 60% of the people that you're going to have a conversation with are probably going to say no anyway. And uh, yes. it can be demoralizing for the founder. I have a yeah. serious question around that. So one of the things we've noticed as we've done uh, this clueless capitalist is that people who have watched the episodes they will come to us and say, hey, uh, Razi Osman, um, we are interested in investing in this startup. And I think one of the things we've done consciously or I've done consciously is to say, look, you do your own due diligence, go speak to the guy yourself. And when you put that money, uh, know that it's a high risk investment and you're doing it, having done your own due diligence. So you don't come back and say, oh, Razi, you told me to uh, invest or I invested because of you. So I feel that there has been that fear. So when you lead a syndicate, when you're a syndicate lead, how do you overcome that challenge or that big, the huge responsibility that you have? Is it just by being aware that there are going to be losses or there are going to be misses uh, and probably more misses than hits? Like, how do we deal with this, you know, this, this sense of responsibility and this fear that if I bring people into this, if it doesn't go well, then in a way, yeah, you feel that sense of responsibility. I don't know if that makes sense or, yeah. Absolutely, right? I think going from being an angel investor to running your syndicate, it's a big step change in the level of responsibility and you have to take it seriously, right? It's really honestly not for everyone, right? You really have to be committed to this. One of the things that we do is that, you know, it's like I alluded to earlier, right? Uh, investing is a, a relationship game. Uh, I value my LP's trust above everything else. Uh, which basically means that I speak to every single one of my LPs. So every single thousand plus investor in my mailing list is an actual relationship that I have. And that's not just to nurture the trust, but it's also in a way a gating function. Before they see a single deal, I want to have a face-to-face -face or a Zoom call or a Blue Jeans call and actually explain to them, but do you understand what this involves? Do you understand that this is extremely high risk? It is illiquid. You cannot expect to want to cash out your position like you like you can with you know trading public stocks. And if I don't get a sense of conviction that this person is ready for this, uh, I simply will say you know I'm sorry I, I won't accept your capital right. Um, so so that's kind of one thing. There are legal protections that are involved when the transaction is made. So that's another level of protection. And ultimately, what we do is also to do very good diligence, right? Just working with Oz and looking at some of the companies, we go very deep, even on early stage companies. And we're able to do this because for the startups who are in pipeline, 
you know, there maybe is a quarter million or a half a million dollar check at the end of it. So you will put up with all of this diligence, right? It, it makes sense to to work for it, and, and that gives us some level of assurance that hey, you know, we think we're backing the right company. We call out risk factors in the deal, and and so that we can be transparent with this. Yeah, I mean, and it's a really good point that you make, Chad, because. So I'll be very transparent with everybody as well. I've joined cohort four of、uh, Angel School, and I've been going through that. Learned a huge amount during that process, and I've learned a huge amount through doing the due diligence on startups that have come through,、uh, come through the pipeline. It feels like you're peering over the shoulders of like people who have really been there, done that before, and you begin to pick up on nuances that you you really. Didn't know about before, so I found huge value in doing that. And in terms of being able to realise these types of questions have come up before, and、uh, you know questions around do what type of、uh, LP do I want to be part of my syndicate? That, that questions come up before, and one of the things that we took away from that was risk appetite. If I know that I've got my money and I'll lose it if I've invested in in a startup, and other people have to have that same mindset as well, that you know there there is a high risk that you will lose it, and and that came through in some of the conversations that we had during the you know the sessions that we have at the weekend, where if somebody appears to be unreceptive to losing capital, then it's a hard no. We don't want to take your capital because it's not right, and、uh, and it's not going to be right for them as an investment vehicle.、Um, and the other one is the illiquidity of the investment. You know, you you're tied up in a startup, and there's a good chance that you're going to be tied up for ten years, maybe longer. So it, it can it, it can really irk some people. They think about the value multiples and the potential for gain, but they need to be reminded that there is a high risk. And they can't just pull the cash out, and and that's come up in other conversations I've had with other、uh, potential LPs who who talk about, well, when can I get my money back? <laughs> like, you might not ever get it back. Are you ready for that? And and it it really does hit home when you have that conversation. For sure, I I feel like people who are drawn to angel investing, I'll just say, there's probably easier and less stressful ways to make money. For sure,、um, yeah. but there's a certain persona that's being drawn to, to angel investing, right? So I like to think that people that get into angel investing, they're doing it beyond the promise of financial return, which obviously that is the the main driver for why we get into this. But if you think about the conversations you have with other people, right? They 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 talk about a lot of other non-financial reasons. Which really makes it a bit irrational when you think about it. You know,、uh, you see a company. I really like that mission. I want to be valued. I want to help them. So wait a minute. So you want to give them money and you want to work for them? That just seems a bit weird, isn't it? You know, we, which kind of gets to my point that yes, obviously we don't want to lose money. We want to see a successful exit, but we also really want to be part of something, and we see you know a, a belief in that, right? I mean, and and this is exactly why me and Razi、uh, first got into angel investing.、Um, for me, it was a, a, an element of impact investing. I liked some of the missions that these startups had、um, in terms of impacting lives, making real change, making real change in their communities, and thinking. Well, for me, in my mind, I thought that's a mission I can get behind, and there's a good chance that they. Well, it's not even debatable. There is a problem that's being solved. When you're solving a problem, you're, you're there is a business opportunity there as well. So for me, it, it kind of it, it's not you know a mutually exclusive decision. It's like we're benefiting people, we're we're making an impact, and、uh, we're solving a problem. We can make a business out of it, and and that's pretty much how we got into angel investing. Kind of yeah, we'll give you some money, and and we're now. Now involved in an industry that we know nothing about, <laughs> and it's fun.、Uh, I have to admit that's a, yeah, like you said, it's、um, it it takes a certain type of mindset to get involved in doing doing this type of thing.
Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point. I wrote it down, doing it beyond the promise of financial uh, return. I think just to share, um, it, that really resonated with me because when I look at the first angel investment I ever made, it was in a telemedicine company in Pakistan. And I so resonated and I so like, I was so taken to the uh, vision and what they were trying to build. I was like, yeah, I need to be part of this. And it wasn't just about giving them the money. It's also feeling that I'm now part of this uh, startup or this company that's making a real impact in the so definitely uh, resonates with me that it's beyond just the financial return aspect of things. So since Osman mentioned angelschool.vc, right, I think it's a good time now to ask you, Jed, what is angelschool.vc? What can people expect if they join? Osman mentioned that he's part of cohort four. So how long is a, is a cohort? Uh, what's the duration of the entire uh, program? Right. So, what is angelschool.vc? Um, we can think of it as taking angels and taking them from one to ten. So, this is not about zero to one to help you get started uh, in angel investing. If you want to do that, we're more than happy to have you know people part of our network and look at our deal flow. It's a great way to learn. Angelschool.vc, the program is about helping angels to become super angels by building their own syndicates. So, we develop the playbook that covers everything that you can imagine, right? We basically systematize everything that's involved in building, scaling, and managing syndicates. And we teach this as an eight-week program. It's a once-a-week live sessions, uh, two to three hours a week. So you're talking about 20 or 24 hours of commitment in session time over eight weeks to learn my entire playbook. Now, after this, the other part of the proposition is that we invite the angels to come sit on my investment committee. The proposition there for the angels is you've learned the academics. I'm not saying get out of the door uh, because I've got a new cohort of students. I'm saying let's give you continuity in your development. So the investment committee is a weekly forum where we get together uh, like-minded angels who have been through the program. We work on real deal flow together, and so we see this as a way for the angels to um, get hands-on experience with real deal flow, to build their LP network alongside me, essentially becoming a fractional owner of my syndicate, for which we have a carry sharing program. So we share carry the upside with the angels on the IC. And when the angels feel like they are ready to go launch their own syndicate, they can go do that. We will give them a complete download of the LPs they bought, the metrics, the data, all of this to help de-risk and accelerate their path uh, and start their own syndicate. So that's how the program works. So then the next question is, what is the investment uh, to join Angel School? Sure. The program fee is $4,000. Uh, this covers the eight-week program and lifetime access. To the investment committee and our resources uh, there's no ongoing charge or maintenance for that okay i mean you really build a network of a thousand lps so the question was you know sometimes people do have this uh, fixed mindset or this uh limited mindset where they think um, i need to protect my own pie right why do you want to train someone to grow their own syndicate instead of just joining yours sure so, so I'll answer this in, in two ways, right? One is the, the philosophical answer and the other is the strategic answer. Right. Okay. The philosophical answer is that running a syndicate, your relationship with, with LPs, right? This is like, you know, what they say about love. If you love something, you got to be able to let it go, right? And if it's not yours, it's not going to stay. It's that sort of idea, yeah. right? I, I firmly believe that the problem in venture today is not capital availability. Right. For the last 10 years, governments around the world have been printing money. Right. It's been the world's been flushed with cash and it, and it still is. I think what's stopping venture from progressing today is market makers. Right. So syndicates fulfill this function of moving capital to efficient use to, to great startups and, and backing them. Right. And they do it at a much larger scale than uh, an angel investor individually could do. Right. And I think 
they provide a bridge for these companies to be sufficiently capitalized and eventually raise venture funding and go institutional and, and to go big. Right. I also think that uh, every investor should have an investment thesis, right? There are certain things that you do invest in and you don't, you know, it's like what you know, what you feel strongly about, and that's important. So if we all behave like that, it means that I can only help companies in a certain sector of the world, which leaves a whole lot of other companies that I can't help. And is it okay if Razi is based in Southeast Asia and he wants to help a bunch of entrepreneurs in, in Pakistan or Bangladesh be successful and he builds his own network? Sure, go for it. You know, your investors will likely be from that same geo, right? And say, hey, well, I've got this Silicon Valley, you know, SaaS company. Like, it's just not going to resonate. So, so, you know, I just don't, am not, I guess, jealous or, or, or protective of LPs that way. So that's a philosophical answer. Now, the strategic one. The strategic view of what we're building is that Angel School is a scaling lever. Okay, everything that I do and plan and execute towards is about moving the needle on me being a better investor, which basically means writing bigger checks, getting into better companies. It's one of those levers. I don't teach Angel School for profit to, to maximize revenue and profit. It's actually why I've not taken venture funding for, for the organization. Angel School is a bootstrap company. We're a startup in itself, if you want to think about it that way, because you know what? I don't want to be a teacher for teaching's sake, right? You know, the goal is not to be uh, like on deck, have new programs, grow the core size. Those are not the drivers, because if I do that, I'll never be able to invest. If you think about the program design, it gives us tremendous scaling leverage because we teach the program. This is about giving the angels a certain skill set or a common playbook to operate from. We then invite them to sit on the investment committee. The investment committee today gives us the ability to process 10 or 20 times as much deal flow as I could as a syndicate lead running as a side hustle. And it's not just the time and energy, it's also the expertise. Everybody's got their own domain knowledge in something, so there's a very good chance there's somebody in my network who can challenge my thesis on a particular deal. That helps us make better decisions. And so the next level to this, which we're executing this year, is to turn Angel School is, is into a super network. So what do we mean by that? We're introducing the idea of something called a pod. Think of a pod as a minimum viable syndicate. All the ingredients that you need to basically deploy capital into great companies, which basically means one, an investment team. Well, we know how to build investment committees. Second, you need operating infrastructure. We already have that in place. And third, you need a base of LPs. So this year, with the organic pipeline that we're going, that, that we're acquiring and the partnerships that we have around the world. We're teaching Angel School's program around the world. In fact, cohort four is our first non-US cohort. We're covering both Europe and Asia. So we're going to create investment committees in Europe and Asia, and we already have one in the US. So each of these investment committees functions like an actual pod, right? Because they source and work and diligence their own deal flow. Angel School provides the operating infrastructure to all of them. And we have a thousand LPs to which we can say, would you like to see deal flow in Europe, Asia, or US? Just check a box. And so now we can segment and, and basically um, cross-pollinate uh, LPs to each of these. So that becomes yet another level of skill. And so this is something I'm excited about and, and we're executing this year you know maybe if you have me on in a year you see if it, if the strategy kind of worked or not so i mean yeah and just to touch on that i mean um for me when i was looking around for options on how to become a better investor this one really stood out and Ravi's going to probably say to me after this call why didn't you tell me about this and i and i was deliberate about not going through and extolling the virtues of it because i know that razi was looking at all these traditional programs which you see it you know like with 
London School of Economics and, you know, University College London. And I was like, my reaction was, if you like it, go ahead. Because I needed Razi to hear it from you first about the program and the detail around it, because it is substantially different to what's out there on the market. It's about real deal flow. It's about real insights. And my personal experience of some of the first elements of due diligence, we were looking at one particular startup and we, we brought in a couple of people who are really knowledgeable in that particular industry vertical. I've got no access to that at the moment. And that type of level of insight added huge amounts of value. And it gave you a next level ability to qualify in or out whether this deal is going to work or not for you. Uh, and that's something that from the nature of the uh, uh, angel network that I have and what you can leverage from angel school, it's, it's a whole step change. And there's a huge amount of value from that. So yeah, but before you kind of grab me after the video, um, there was a logic behind not not going on about it because you then end up sounding like you're trying to push a, a program. Uh, and now I can genuinely say I've gone through, I think maybe it was 80% of the program now. Yeah, we're like six of eight weeks in. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, yeah, session seven's the last kind of like teaching one and then it's graduation. Yeah. And I've got so much out of it, like really a lot. Um, I, I, I mean, Oz, I, this wasn't a setup, you know, this wasn't a plan, but I really do appreciate you saying this, right? I mean, um, Angel School was a, um, it, it's a labor of love, you know, the kind of knowledge and insight and, and that we are building into this and then the program structure and deliberately keeping the cohort small so that we can have actual meaningful interactions and connections with everybody like it, it means a lot right you know i you know it's coming back to this point of like building the network and using that strategically rather than just like a cash machine where i'm just getting people through teach them for like six or eight weeks get out the next batch right you know that one is is less meaningful for me yeah yeah and, and i wouldn't be saying this if that was the feeling that i'd taken away like, okay, you're kind of just running through emotion. I've got my $4,000 from these guys and off you go. There's a genuine, genuine feeling that, you know, we're, we're on a mission together and, and, you know, it's part of the investment in your own education, right? That was how I saw this particular program. The $4,000 was to, to really invest in myself. And then, yeah, it's part of a longer term learning program for me. So I, I I got a huge amount. So just before anybody says anything, yeah, this hasn't been settled. I haven't, you know, I haven't been lined up to kind of extol the virtues of the of the program. Um, but that's my genuine feeling as uh, as I'm coming through it at the moment. You can see that this episode is not sponsored by Angel School. <laughs> that's right. I think we're allowed to. You're supposed to have it on like YouTube or something. Yeah, with so, like a timestamp. I, I, I Jeans, so we're, we're using Blue Jeans Studio, and I have to mention that um, I work for Blue yeah. Jeans. <laughs> That's so, right. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, guys, have you heard of NordVPN? <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of sponsored posts, <laughs> I think it's so uh, it's so generous that uh, what you build. I mean, from what I've heard from uh, Osman and from what I've heard from you. I think it's so generous with what you are sharing and what you're doing with angelschool.vc because earlier we were discussing and also I have felt it myself how this this space tends to be very exclusive, like um, exclusive network, so it keeps people out. So now you're sharing and what you're trying to build, it's um, making it very inclusive and letting others get in onto angel investing as well. Yeah, I just to, to add on that point, right? It's very clear, abundantly clear that venture capital is a, a rather exclusionary place. Uh, people are bifurcated. You're either in VC or, or you're not, right? Um, it, the, the reality is that there is um, scarcity in supply, right? So so the people that do go get in, you know, they are part of an elite club. And, and it's I think this is just human nature. It's just the way the world works. Yeah, if you look at, you know, my own history, my track record, my pedigree, there is nothing in there 
that says I should have any success at angel investing or working with startups. And yet I've kind of picked two companies at seed stage that have turned unicorn. Is it super lucky that I hit like a, a lottery ticket twice? Maybe, but if you accept those data points, right, then you have to agree that investing is a skill that can be learned. You do need to work your ass off on it, part of the language, and you have to be dedicated to it over the long term, but it is a skill that can be learned, right? And and I kind of see starting your own syndicate as the next journey for angel investors to basically balance out the risk reward in your favor. Right, essentially with a syndicate, if you're able to successfully start and, and scale one, you basically get massive capital leverage and upside on, on all of that, right? So that's a way of um, balancing out the odds in your favor. When is a good time to start a syndicate? So like how many startups would an angel have invested in individually before I says, okay, now it's time for me to start a syndicate? Is there a number yeah. to that? Like nine, eight, 10, 20? Yeah. So I don't know if there's a magical answer, right? So I think it's more of a, a philosophical answer, not to duck the question. What we look for is that as an angel investor, we want the applicants to have invested in at least two or three companies of their own, right? Usually at that stage, you would have at least come across a term sheet, read a convertible note or a safe and learn the basics of gone through that motions of, of evaluating a company, right? And you need to come with those basics because we won't cover that, right? That zero to one knowledge, it's abundant and it's out there and it's free, right? Anyone who wants that can, can read some blog articles, watch some videos, attend some free courses and you get all of it, right? No issues. The other thing that we look for is commitment and passion and, and tenacity. What we do is to distill uh, six years of angel investing experience, three years of syndicate building experience into an eight-week program, a, a playbook, right? That's nicely packaged and, and walks you through all of this. We can help you avoid the mistakes, but you need to execute, right? That I can't help people with, right? So we want to make sure that they're aligned with this. And, and again, I, I kind of reject that that axiom, you know, that... Well, if you want to be a, a great investor or start your own syndicate or start a fund, the classic wisdom is, well, Razzy, it's simple. You just need a couple of like exits and a bunch of unicorns. And if you do that, it's easy. It, it's a bit of a cop-out answer if you ask me, right? Mm. Your smart is very entertaining by that answer. <laughs> Gen genuinely, uh, yeah, as an angel, yeah, you, you do feel that there is a, an exclusivity around what, what's going on and people don't want to share that knowledge with you. And it was, getting from zero to one was really, really hard. But I think Jed's right. When you join Angel School, it's really about, okay, I've got my war stories as well and now I, I need to actually just get better at it and, and improve my deal flow. And, and you already have an idea of what ticks your box and what doesn't and uh you know i think that like you said there's a lot out there there's a lot that you can learn um and for me personally you i learned a lot by doing so i was pr fully prepared to throw down a ticket into a startup and lose it all just so that i can walk away and say well okay what wouldn't i do next time and uh, and that in itself is is valuable and the comment I've made to other people, other angel investors or wannabe angel investors is that you'd have paid that money to go on a training course and got nothing out of it, right? And and here you are, you're you're worried about losing losing money on an on an investment, but you also have upside potential as well. And yeah, that's a learning experience as well. So either you choose to pay money on a training course and go somewhere and do something or you can at least try it and try it out and learn. And and there's nothing nothing harder than actually being given a safe note for the first time and, and trying to work out what those terms mean. What's a cap? What's a discount rate? What does that mean then? Where when will it when will I get my share of the company? You know, that type of thing. And uh, and that was like really daunting. And I remember just having no clue on the first one that I did. 
to find a way and okay let me follow this journey through and, and i learned a lot i learned a lot from it uh, so yeah i mean that they're, they're my personal ones and yeah and there's a lot of people who will deliberately not share any information with you because they feel like my exclusive thing why do i need to let you in my club and uh and it takes a lot of effort to uh, to break that and, and like you said jed if you look at my history there is no reason why i'm an angel investor there, there's nothing that says that oh, osman ahmed is definitely going to be an angel investor or this is a natural path for him um, there's nothing there and the amount of people I've met who are active angel investors are from all walks of life a lot more in VC but um, it's definitely a, a mixed bag I was going to ask a question around zero to one so you've uh, you guys both have mentioned this uh, going from zero to one right like making your first uh, angel investment and I think a lot of the people who do watch this some of them have yet to make that uh, first investment so Jed a question for you what advice do you have for like an emerging angel investor yeah uh, i'll say three things the first one is that deal flow has never been more accessible think about attending a demo day event in a 90 minute window you can look at 20 different companies that have been through the ringer for about 12 or 16 weeks and before that, they were selected out of like thousands, right? The kind of access that you have today is is unprecedented. So I would say first thing is don't be lazy, consume a lot, but be stingy with your checks, right? Take your time to learn and don't rush in this, uh, especially don't get caught in the excitement. The second thing is, well, not to skew or, or, or to plug what we do is take advantage of syndicates. Why? I think good syndicates are sourcing at scale, doing very deep diligence and, and writing out a good thesis. So for us, every company that we in, decide to back, we write a full-blown investment memo, right? It's a five or six page document that explains why we believe in this deal, what the risk factors are and, and all of this relevant information. For being part of the syndicate, you can get access to this, uh, or this information, all of this diligence that's packaged up and use that as a learning exercise. You don't have to write me a check. You can like learn and just stay on the sidelines as long as you want, right? So take advantage of that wisdom. I think the third thing I would communicate is to play for life-changing outcomes, right? So, so what does that mean? This hoodie, I talk about this all the time. Obviously very proud of this company, what they're doing to help uh, software developers around the world. Uh, I'm also proud because it's my first seed to unicorn investment. Right? Haven't liquidated, but we're well in the money on the investment. And when they IPO, it'll um, be a good day. If you think about getting, let's say, 100 multiple on your investment, that's amazing, right? We're talking about one in 10,000 or one in 20,000 odds. What does it mean if you invested $1,000 into a company that does 100x? You've got $100,000, which is okay. It's a bit of a nicer Toyota in Singapore, I think. Right? If you invest the 10,000, that 100x becomes a million dollars. Now we're getting, we're approaching the, the region of, you know, life-changing outcomes. So I guess, you know, I understand like angel investing is a high-risk game, but also there's no point if your checks are, are, are so trivial that no matter the outcome, it, it's not a big prize at the end of it, right? So, you know, that's my take on it. The three takeaways is uh, to go for demo days, to get deal flow, be part of a syndicate and play for life-changing outcomes. I think the life-changing right. can be done, can be had, like you mentioned, if the amounts are not trivial. And I think the amounts can be not trivial when you are a syndicate, when you're part of a, when you're a syndicate lead. Yeah. And just to circle back to an earlier point, right? I talked about capital leverage on, on syndicates, right? And how that improves your risk rewards. I know we're going down a, a slight tangent, but I think this is a, a valid point. If you look at the statistics in VC, the probabilities of getting a 10x exit are roughly 8% as an average performing VC. So think about that. You have a 1 in 12 chance to hit a 10x return, which isn't nothing. So 
if you're an independent angel, you write a 10k check, you know, you 10x to 100,000 again Toyota money. I'm going to use start using that term <laughs> at least in Singapore. <laughs> But with with a syndicate, if you're writing a larger check, right? Again, scaling on capital. A half a million dollar check to 10x becomes 5 million dollars. 20% carry becomes a million dollars. So you have a 1 in 12 chance to hit a seven figure outcome, not Toyota money. Right. So again, coming back to the point about syndicates, scaling leverage lets you get meaningful financial outcomes from modest returns. Right. So it's like a lot more probable to be hitting, you know, one in twelve chances for ten x's versus that one in ten thousand hundred x return or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm starting my syndicate now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Leave a link. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the, the the harder bits of uh, of running a syndicate that I can see is uh, is everyone's going to have an opinion, and the first one is why should I give you twenty percent carry if I put my money into your syndicate? Can I put in and do ten percent? And uh, I'm interested in your take on that. In this industry, we're quite used to this. It's a fairly standard uh, approach, you know, a a twenty percent carry and a, a you know two percent management fee for VC funds. So this is kind of normal, but you do get a lot of people wanting to negotiate that. What's your take on on people who want to negotiate around that? Uh, firstly, I reject the comparison when people say, "Well, you know, this is a VC fund." And you know you have um, they charge twenty percent carry, you know, um, but you know you're only a syndicate, and, and there's that comparison. Mm. So my response to that, firstly, is can you write a two million dollar blind check to a fund manager uh, and give up twenty percent carry? Because if you can't swing that check, then it's it's a, not a comparison, right? Right? If, yeah. if you don't have access, you, you can't say it, right? You know, you can't get into Sequoia's fund. Too bad. So then, let's talk about syndicates, right? I think the comparison is between being an independent angel versus uh, a syndicate. Here, what are you getting? What are the values you're getting out of a syndicate? You're talking about sourcing and diligencing at scale. For us, anyway, not everyone operates the same way. We're high conviction investors. On a given year, we might do six, eight deals. That's it. But we're constantly working the background, right? Sourcing companies, working through diligence to arrive at those companies. So, so the bar is a lot higher. There's a lot of work going into it. If somebody isn't willing to give me twenty percent, then I equivocate to say that you don't value my work. It's the same as like you know underpaying somebody or giving them a pay cut, in my view. And finally, the other thing to to keep in mind is that. With syndicates, they're a hard game, you know, harder than VCs, arguably, because you don't have recurring management fees. We basically play for twenty percent carry, which basically means that our alignment with LPs is a lot stronger than a VC fund manager who basically makes enough money to keep the lights on from management fees. If they make the carry, great, icing on the cake. Right? I think with syndicates, it's a lot more existential. So. You know that last point is about kind of aligning with with LPs, right? We basically only profit if you know we find you a company that that ends up being a winner. Otherwise, you know we're no better off. You know certainly that model seems a lot more appealing than let's say something you might see on equity crowdfunding, where the business model tends to be, well, we'll take a percentage of the capital raise, you know, typically ten percent. So, would you rather give ten percent upfront to somebody of your cash to get into a deal, or would you rather then take twenty percent on the upside if the deal is successful? Right, those are your choices. Yeah, the, the other issues that I've seen, which put me off running a, a syndicate, was that every time that we I was talking to individuals, they all had their own opinion on. When to take an exit, when not to take an exit, and all, all of that kind of like discussion, and it became for me a very difficult conversation to have. As a syndicate lead, I could imagine this being very contentious. The companies, you know, like for example, you're you're potentially、um, waiting for an IPO, 
but there might be a let's say a series d or an e round where you could take an exit people are going to be knocking on the door and saying look i want my money and I, i'm not prepared to wait um and and take the risk of an ipo and you end up having to deal with those particular problems so the how do you handle the the complexity of managing a syndicate in its entire lifetime um is basically it, and the investors that have come in yeah so in regards to this specific scenario that you're bringing up right essentially with most governance agreements with syndicates it essentially gives the power to the syndicate lead to make to have discretion on it sole discretion now how you choose that exercise how you choose to deal with that with your investors that's a separate question yeah i think if i was given a compelling uh secondary offer to to liquidate uh i would probably take a referendum type approach with my investors and, and just get their opinion of course i would take this as like non-binding before i, I take the um their decision on it uh you know i like to be consultative and and to let other people weigh in but at some point you also have to um you you've got to make the call on this so i think you know the yeah. the key point is that as a syndicate lead you you have to be ready to deal with these situations yeah and the, and the other hard bit that i saw was just the ongoing management activity keeping your investors informed keeping on top of the the startup getting trying to get their exercise your rights for d- data right and um uh, do you want to just give an insight into how how difficult that is because i think people don't appreciate that for sure i think the best founders that we've worked with they are just diligent about sending monthly updates right and those are the best kinds of like companies and founders to work with because it just makes your life easier you can basically automate all all of that sort of management and people feel informed and they'll just it just makes your life easier i think for us beyond having a relationship with the founder so that you can actually lean on them and say like hey i need this right or i haven't heard anything in a couple of months you know give me an update i think as we grow bigger we're going to start exerting information right so this is another advantage of having scale of capital say like look if i'm writing you a quarter million dollar check or half a million or a million dollars certainly I'm entitled to information right right and that becomes a more uh, a stronger mechanism to enforce you know specifically updates yeah what are the other downsides of running a syndicate besides what Osman has mentioned i think people have to be prepared for the heavy lift right so i'll talk about two things one is the 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 zero to one part of starting a syndicate it's a big heavy lift you need to really dig in and work for 3 4 5 months to build your initial lp base and then find your first deal that you feel conviction about and then bring those two pieces together and see how your metrics fall out to make sure that they're healthy right but if you do that after that it starts getting easier right so a lot of this is are people willing to put in the work right and just grind through it All right there's a lot of things that we can solve for this right so even things that don't seem intuitively solvable for example how do you pitch and convince LPs in 30 minutes i have you know a five point script that we work through in 30 minutes we get guesses 80% of the time right so those things can be solved it's a matter of execution i think the other part of of syndicates that makes it hard is that the vehicle itself isn't suitable for certain edge cases one of those edge cases is fast moving rounds right essentially with a syndicate you're doing deal sourcing diligence packaging up the deal up front then putting it in front of lps to fundraise so so the fundraise cycle takes place after the diligence process whereas with a vc fund they've been out fundraising for 12 or 18 months to get dry powder right so when they do the diligence and they decide hey i want to go ahead on this deal it's a matter of deciding on the number and they can go ahead with it so with a syndicate after the diligence is over you actually have this you know we can get it down to like a four week fundraise cycle right to to raise the capital and and fund the deal so it tends not to be good for for fast moving deals um so that's my point about it and when you mention syndicate it seems like it's a singular thing uh, are there syndicates where there are more than one lead 
be two people, three people, four people, or is it best yeah. to have one? Yeah, I, I mean, you can certainly partner up, right? Actually, um, I j have just started cohort five of the program. Uh, so we're kind of like finishing up cohort four and then started cohort five. I actually had session number two uh, just this morning. And and uh, I've got a couple of uh, angels in New York who are partnering up to, to launch their own syndicate, right? So that's also a good strategy because you can spread the workload around, right? Make that initial lift a little bit lighter. Okay, and then another question that I have is around, you mentioned that you grew your syndicate to a thousand LPs without any marketing. I've always thought that to run a syndicate, you need to have like a, a brand name around it, you know, like a website that shows all of your successes and who's within that syndicate. But it seems to me after hearing from you, actually there's no need to, to have any of those like bells and whistles. Is that true? I would say so. So let's have some real talk, guys. So I'll tell you like all the things that I did that I, I wouldn't do if I, I, I started today. When I started my syndicate in, in 2020, the pandemic was getting like really serious, right? So I actually took the time to reach out to my network and just say, how are you doing? Uh, if you want to like have catch up, I, I, let's have a conversation, right? And of course, I was concerned about the people in my network and, and it was a genuine act of uh, an authentic act, let's say. But it was also a, an opportunity to reconnect with people and talk about what you're doing or, or what you're up to. And I said, hey, you know what? I've been angel investing. I think I'm not terrible at it, you know, and I'm starting a, a syndicate, right? You know, if it's something that you're interested in, I'd love to share my deal flow. That's it. And that was how I built my first mailing list, right? Uh, again, it's not simply a list of emails on an address. It's, it's actual relationships. Now, when I first started getting my deal flow, I was literally sending it out from my personal Gmail. It was jedwhatever at gmail.com. Like super amateur. I was tracking stuff on like Google Sheets and, and, and stuff like that. You know, obviously now we've got a much more sophisticated setup. Uh, and, and it's something that, you know, we teach in the programs like, hey, here's how to set it up, right? Here's what a, a CRM looks like and, and all of this, right? So these are all solvable problems. To your question, okay, how do we grow it to a thousand? It starts off with relationships, right? Again, I'm just coming back to this point, right? And make sure like, hey, people have to know you and trust you. You're not just going for like mass scale. You're not building a mailing list, you're building relationships. I'll just say that again. I think if you have two ingredients, one is the trust of your LPs. Second, and you work your ass off to go find great deals. Something magical happens. The magic is that the people in your network, not everyone, a small percentage, will start telling other people with your syndicate, about your syndicate, they will start sharing deal flow with other people, right? Specifically who think would be interested in that company. I sort of noticed this pattern back when I was at 150-ish LPs. Every time I did a deal, I was, like, I was getting all these intros and, and you know, I couldn't figure out like, is this noise or is there a pattern? So I went to backtest this hypothesis. What I did was I mapped out using my CRM data, the growth of my LP network over time. And then I went into my email inbox and my calendar to find on a time scale when I was active with DealFlow. And we started to see this clear pattern, right? Between the DealFlow activity and spikes in growth in the network. Basically, it was a very clear pattern that my LPs were sharing about my syndicate and my deal flow with others, right? And, and since that point, when I was at 150, 200 LPs, I, when I realized that pattern exists, I took my foot off the gas completely on trying to find LPs. In fact, today, I never go looking for LPs. Everybody comes to me, right? So again, let me put my sales hat on. What does this mean? Imagine a funnel where every single lead that comes to you is an MQL, market qualified lead, nothing cold. Everybody knows your brand. Everybody knows what you do. And more often than not, they were introduced not just to the syndicate, but on a specific deal. So if you think about funnel as having a series of stages, the last two being deal engagement and a commitment, you've actually managed to bring a lead all the way together to the second last step of the funnel, right? And, and how powerful is that if you manage to skip three steps ahead, 
you know, three or four steps, whatever it is, ahead of time, and and, and you basically have this lead that's dropped all the way in, and they're you know that far away from writing you a check. Right. I mean, it, it's really a magical thing, and and this isn't my own experience. Right. I've seen it with the earlier angels that I've taught in earlier programs. Right. They started out building their initial investors, and some of them have like second degree and third degree investors. Right. From referrals of referrals. Right. So my message is, you know, I think it gets a lot easier, but you have to build the foundations. Right. And there's no need for a fancy.、Uh... Logo and a nice name and a nice website.、Just、no, I I don't think so, right? I mean, your your trust and the relationships with your LPs basically、um, helps you get over that, right? In, in a lot of ways,、uh, the relationship matters so much. If you think about it, it's such a valuable thing, right? When I meet new LPs who are introduced to me, we're just having a conversation. I never share a pitch deck. I never share slides. Because I think it actually makes the conversation a lot more transactional, right? It becomes a bit more like sales. Here's what I'm selling. Here's what you're buying. You know, let's reach a deal. I mean, I think that、um, that was really、uh, very, very insightful. Because I was thinking that you know, but it seems that if you want to start a syndicate, you need to really, really、uh, be ready for it and be ready to work your ass off and build that trust. And it's not,、uh, and it's one on one. It's like a very personalized interactions. To earn that trust and to build the syndicate of LPs. Yeah, and, and I think that the perspective is important, right? So let's talk about perspective in in two regards. Because I, I basically tell people that I have spoken to literally every single one of my thousand plus whatever LPs, right? Literally, and they think it's crazy. Well, let's put this on the time scale of having done this for 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 three years. We're talking about an average of like one conversation a day. Is that a lot? I don't. I don't happen to think so. And with a thirty-minute investment, right? If you think of it that way, a thirty-minute investment to having conversation and building a relationship with with somebody over the course of three or five years, they might see twenty, thirty, forty deals、uh, that you put in front of them. You've basically spent less than one minute, invested less than one minute of your time for them to spend. Ten minutes or a few hours looking at each of those deals, right? Then the other perspective is 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 scale, right? If you are doing this, you know enough. If you've got a, a base, right, and you take advantage of those referral effects, your your capital is going to grow. You're swinging a bigger stick. Imagine going from a hundred thousand dollar check to two hundred or three hundred or five hundred or a million dollars, whatever that number is. Think about the price that you're paying, playing for in, in in these terms, right? Those relationships matter, you know. They they multiply for you. Absolutely. One of the things I was having difficulty wrapping my head around was that how you've had a conversation with a thousand, every one of those thousand LPs, and by putting it in that perspective, it makes it so much、uh, more accessible. It's less daunting. It makes sense. Yeah, and, and just maybe one more point around like. The prize, right? You know, in the end, everything is a rationalization of like cost and benefit. If you take a single syndicate, right, and and what the value of carry interest is worth, right? So let's take another perspective. Again, carry interest basically is is profit on、um, capital deployed. If you're raising a syndicate that deploys a hundred thousand dollar check, twenty percent carry basically means that you have upside on a deal. As if you invested twenty thousand dollars with zero capital outlay, right? So, is it worth investing the time to to get that upside? I mean, you know, I'm just trying to find arguments that make this convincing, right? And and if you grew, and if you're deploying a million dollars a year, which honestly is not that much of a stretch if somebody works at it, you can get to that point in a year, I think. And a million dollars capital deployed, that is the equivalent of having. Two hundred thousand dollars worth of positions in promising companies with zero capital outlay, and if people aren't convinced by that, then well, you know, I'm I'm out. Like you know, I I I can't win you. <laughs> well, like、um, I mean, and just going on to that level of trust, I mean,、uh, and that network effect. How I got introduced to you, Jed, was through、uh, Gup, who's the、uh, like one of the managing partners of. Telstra Ventures, and and to be to be completely fair, because it's come from Gut, 
you're already qualified, you know, in my mind. So for, for me, when I was having that conversation, it wasn't just about who is Jed and why do I need to listen to this guy? It was more about, tell me more about what you're doing and, and the program. I didn't need need any kind of like qualification of you as an individual or, or what you did because you'd come through a referral from someone that I trusted and, and valued in in that space anyway. And, yeah. and that's the power of referral. Um, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that act of somebody vouching for you is a tremendously significant act. Is somebody putting their reputation on the line for me, which I'm just like, holy smokes, it, it's a big thing, right? It means a lot, right? It's not just a referral, right? It's to really somebody vouching for you. So, so it means a lot to me. Yeah. I appreciate okay, so the like invite, guys. Uh, thanks for making time uh, and uh yeah i mean we, it, was, it was quite a quite a learning uh, for me this is like mini angel school bc uh right here yeah. <laughs> thank you so much yeah i mean change my perspective with regards to like what the syndicate is and uh how to put things in perspective so thank you for joining us uh, for this episode uh jet i think it has been really really insightful on understanding what it means to go from being an angel investor to being a super angel and how angelschool.vc is helping facilitate that globally. Really insightful and really exciting stuff that's coming. And uh, if you like this particular episode, please do remember to comment, like, and subscribe, and we'll see you for a future episode.